Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. This is your host, Jim Towns. Uh, we've had some casting changes on the podcast we want to let you all know about. Uh, uh, Scott Kelly, my former co-host, the co-creator of the show, he's moving on to some bigger and better things, and we wish him well. Uh, as they say, though, the show goes on. Uh, I'd like you all to welcome my co-host for this episode and many, many more to come. Uh, you've heard him on several episodes already. Uh, he's someone who has a vast store of affection and knowledge for universal horror and classic film in general. Ladies and gentlemen, Livio Marino. Hey, Livio. Hey, Jim. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I've got some uh, big shoes to kind of step into with, with Scott, but I <laughs> hope uh, people will be able to, to understand my accent a little better than, than maybe his. So well, I was going to say, if they, could, if they could understand his accent. They can yeah. <laughs> Something people have told me about the podcast is that the, the best thing about our little group of everybody is that you're never confused about who's talking. Hey, that's true. Like you know for sure. Okay, no, that's Jim. That's Scott. That's Olivia. Okay, cool. That sounds great. Um, happy to have you on board, man. Happy to be moving forward. We've got just a bunch more really cool films to be covering, uh, um, and I'm looking forward to to you know have having maybe a new dynamic and and uh, and giving some uh, some life into the old show. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. There's, you know, as you say, there's still a lot of meat on the bone. There's a lot of material out there. It was still yet to cover. So right I'm, I'm happy to be here. Excited for, excited for the opportunity. So thank That's you. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we're going to get right into it. Our inaugural episode with, uh, with Livio is not, none other than Bella Lugosi's 1932 masterpiece, White Zombie, directed by the Halperin brothers. Uh, it's, it's something I discovered pretty early on. I think um, just reading about Lugosi, reading about Dracula, and and right this couple of years here at the beginning of of kind of classic golden age horror in in Hollywood. Um, and I, I'm interested. I think it's going to be fun to get into maybe sort of the situation that led him to to doing a film like this uh, at this point in his career. But I remember thinking like, oh, it's only a year after dracula which was such a big hit for him like it's weird he was doing this very small budget smaller budget at least uh uh uh, you know white zombie film where he's his character's a little dracula-esque like you know there's there's some salient differences but you know um uh but but you know as we've gone through the the show and and talked to folks and and you know i've learned a lot more about you know how how hollywood worked back then and and how lugosi's career kind of navigated through it um, it makes a lot more sense, but uh, I'm excited. Yeah. So again, like I saw this movie pretty early on, probably on VHS um, it, and then on a series of DVD versions, they were terrible, terrible co- uh, <laughs> versions of it. And I finally got the, the Kino version uh, a few months ago on Blu-ray of, of this film. And I got to say, it's a, it's a, it's a great improvement. It's still, I'm still not sure they've got the source materials for a, an amazing version the way we've seen universal put out you know dracula 31 but it's it's way better right yeah i uh so i my experience is a little different so i 
I knew always knew of this movie just from seeing the pictures and stills and clips from uh, Lugosi. Um, I never actually watched it. Um, and oh. it's actually one that I don't, it's one of the few that I don't own. So I watched it um, probably that the same one that you saw in VHS. It's a very uh, snowy and bad print on Amazon yeah. prime. <laughs> oh, right. Um, oh, okay. But oh, yeah, okay. I'm excited to, uh, I'm going to, I was actually looking at the, the Kino disc. I'm probably going to pick that up just to, just to rewatch it again in a little better, a little better quality. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. You know, the, the, the thing I always noticed about the, the, the older versions you'd watch, uh, which I think were probably at some point there was like a beta master made of, of the yeah. film. And it was probably of an, of his, an, an inferior print of the film. Uh, maybe it might've been a double dupe or something because the version I always grew up watching was really blown out like like it you know when you make a print of a print of a film or if you transfer badly it's it's like making a xerox of a xerox where everything all right. the blacks get black or the whites get whiter right kind of and um yeah and i remember just being like you could only hardly see madge bellamy's features she was so blown out right yeah that's that's a little bit like what it is i've, I've got it playing here yeah, um, yeah on my computer and it's kind of the same thing you know with amazon it's just like the like you said the whites are just glowing yeah and the, yeah. the blacks are or the darks are black yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to make out any yeah yeah there's a lot of the detail and stuff but uh but anyway um so you know we're gonna kind of just get going here let's uh i'm i'm assuming scott's old job so i'm i'm, I'm having to like do an extra little bit of research. I, I, you know, I'm used to coming in just doing color commentary, but yeah. you know, here, here we go. Um, so it's White Zombies, 1932, uh, stars Bella Lugosi as murder. And I consulted a French friend of mine just to c- can make sure I'm doing this right. Uh, murder Legendre, Legendre. I'm glad you did that because I had I was thinking in my head for like the, the last two days. I have no idea how to pronounce this. And I'm going to butcher it somehow on the show. <laughs> yes, Legendre. Um, I, I I grew up hearing it pronounced Legere, like almost the whole end dre at the end was 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 silent. But it's yes, it's it's Legendre. Uh, Madge Bellamy as Madeline Short slash Parker. She becomes in the movie. Uh, John Heron as Neil Parker. Robert Fraser as Charles Beaumont. Joseph Cawthorn as Doctor Bruner and Brandon Hurst as Silver. Uh, who is uh, Beaumont's servant and sort of a sort of a prototype for riffraff in Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah, kind of, right. <laughs> he's he's kind of the guy that does all the dirty work. Uh, it's uh, yeah. Again, it's 1932. So what what is seen before we get into the film? I just do think it's worth noting. Like, so Dracula comes out in 31, right? And it's a big hit. Lugosi's a big hit. Um, then there's depending on the the right the the uh, the pop culture myth or, or fable you want to follow. Uh, there's a moment where he's either attached to Dracula or, wa- or I'm sorry, attached to Frankenstein or wants Frankenstein. He's teamed up with Robert Flory. They're kind of packaged together. That doesn't happen. Flory and Lugosi go off and do murders in the room org, which we just covered yeah. a few weeks ago on the, on the show, uh, which, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great film. It didn't, it was a box office, not a, not a disaster, but it, it didn't perform the way I think they hoped. And uh, Universal suddenly drops Lugosi's contract just a year after after the release of Dracula, which is, I mean, typical for typical for Lugosi luck, I guess, right? We could say. 
he did not. Yeah, he he had the worst <laughs> when it yeah. comes to uh, dealing with studios and and contracts and all that. And I, I, and I just it, is there so having any evidence of Lugosi having a an agent or a manager? Well, from what I and I'm not a huge Lugosi expert, but from what I gather, that was kind of one of his issues that he never. I don't think he ever quite had. I don't, I don't know if he had an agent at this time. And then I know later throughout his career, I don't know if he always picked the right people to be his agents. Yeah, I think sometimes I, that ended up hurting him more than helping him. Yes, it, it seems like when it came to negotiating like his rate, he always kind of it yeah. didn't work out very well for him. <laughs> and then it does seem like and and you know, look, he's he's going up against universe, Universal and the, the Lemleys and then the latter incarnations of the leadership of, of Universal. But it it does seem like he got tossed around quite a bit and it seems like some of his stature could have like, so it just makes me wonder if like, you know, Boris Karloff had whoever his representation was sort of helping negotiate his career through him. And Lugosi maybe just wasn't as lucky with, with, you know, having, having someone be his, his advocate Uh, anyway. So, so he gets, he gets dumped from this, from a, from universal. Um, And we're saying, you know, it's funny that, I mean, it's a shame for Lugosi, I guess, but it works out for us because suddenly every other studio is like, wait a second, Bella Lugosi is available, (laughs) (laughs) right? Exactly. (laughs) And so we get, you know, in the space of a year, we get, you know, this film, we get White Zombie, we get uh, uh, Island of Lost Souls, right? Yes. Um, And and there's a third one, right? What else does he do? Oh, 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 I'm, I'm counting. I'm counting Murders of the Remora, which is Universal. But, but those are his 1932. Some of his 1932 films. He did a bunch of others. But, uh, but wow, like, um, uh, and I think he Lugosi did more Universal films after Dracula as well. In between Dracula and Murders of the Remora, but as I said, they're not horror movies, so I don't really know them at all. <laughs> There's only so much space in the brain. Um, anyway, so, uh, but, uh, but. I, you know the the setting here. Like, let's get going. So, so we're set in um in Haiti. Uh, I guess it's you know colonial Haiti, right? Uh, uh, and it's it's a contemporary film. It's set in the the 30s. Um, and and it's it just follows the uh sort of the the misadventure of a a, a young couple uh, played by Madge Bellamy, John Heron, um, who uh, uh Heron's character Neil Parker works in Haiti. Um, he's bringing his his uh, fiance to Haiti, and they're going to be married. Um, I love happy ever after. But uh, there's the kink in the thing is that there's a guy named Charles Beaumont who's a, a plantation. He's a sugar plantation owner who has met her on the boat, and he has decided that he he wants her for his own, and he's going to try a few different methods to uh, to to gain that. Yeah, he he doesn't. I have to say, from at least from watching it, he didn't try too hard before he went right to the let's make her a zombie right, right. Yeah, he does. <laughs> maybe there's something else he could have exhausted right i don't know yeah um, it's so it's so uh it's like a short speech down you know as she's about to get married you know saying you know i could i'll i'll do anything for you just give me a chance and she's like no nah, i'm about to get married he's like all right zombie it is <laughs> yes i mean his his timing is really like you know so so we'll, we'll get to that um so uh, we start with a scene in the road where uh, a group of native uh, Haitians are are um, uh, uh, bur- burying a body in the road. Uh, the Parkers, Neil has just picked, p- 
picked up Madeline, uh, I guess, uh, at, at the, at the, at the, the port or whatever um and they're coming back in a carriage and they're you know and as they they're going down the road they run into this this funeral um and the cab driver who's who's also haitian is the one who tells them like they're like what are you doing why you know they're like why would you have a you know thing you know cemetery why bury a bury a body in the road and he's like they bury him so that the 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 voodoo practitioners can't come and get the body i guess the idea is if it's buried in a public place it's well traveled it's harder for the 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 zombie makers let's call them to come <laughs> great character actor uh i can't I, I don't have his name in front of me playing playing the, the cab driver clarence muse clarence muse I, I know him from other stuff too i can't i can't place it but it's uh yeah he, uh, he actually he lived a fairly long life in 1889 to 1979 oh, but yeah he's uh he's he's he has quite a, a lot of credits to his name looks like all the way up to Till the year he passed oh, i'm not i'm not surprised he he and he, you know it's one of those things where he just sells the i i think this film is is probably by critically underrated by a, a lot of horror film uh you know aficionados and and possibly critics and, and what have you um it's it's a very arty film uh i know it's done on a very low budget and you know some of the, the it's a limited sets and and, and what have you but for, for what it has, it really punches above its weight. I mean, it, this first scene, it's so evocative right away. You are in this world and you understand that, that this world is not our world. And you get that these two characters are um, kind of out of their element, right? For, for sure. And they're very, and that makes them really oh, vulnerable. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And like, to your point, he, he really sells it and it's not. Yeah. Like over the top, because I mean that, that this is one of those those movies where it could very easily it's kind of like yes like on that line it could very easily fall into super campy and and super like over the top to where you're just like oh this is a a joke but he he plays it real straight and he really gets the sense of of almost terror across yeah, yeah. of saying like no but you know we have zombies here and and we need to get you to <laughs> we this need to get a, you indoors yeah he's scared yeah you're right exactly livio um he's scared so we get we get scared we get it like okay this is not really good and right on the heels of the you know passing through the funeral um we have this cool superimposition of, of these two eyes which are very obviously recognizable eyes um and uh and they kind of fade off and and the next thing they that happens is this carriage runs into a man standing by the road and he's in a cape and a long hat and a big hat and stuff and and of course it is Bella Lugosi as murder legendre kind of yeah, uh, they ask and, him directions uh, it, right yeah <laughs> and and it's actually it's a it's a really really creepy scene because unlike Dracula or even murders of the Rue Morgue, he he's not or his character is not at all trying to fit in or trying to act like he's something right. that he's not he just stares at her and like just reaches for her. and that that kind of backs up everything that the the coach driver just said you know um yeah so it's i i think it's very very effective done by both lugosi and bellamy yeah yeah and hal perrin like and you know the, these two you know these guys they, I, they're known as uh, it's um the hal perrin's names um the two brothers uh you know they're known as as sort of uh, poverty row, you know, you know, directors and filmmakers. And this is is again, yeah, it's a it's a relatively cheap film. Uh, but again, like like it, they really do create mood. Um, 
it helps that this hill they're filming on by all accounts is actually the hill from Dracula 31 that the carriage comes racing down, yeah. you know, to, 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 you know, basically the Borgo pass, this is Borgo pass. It is Los Angeles <laughs> right here. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Legendre, I should say, uh, comes right in. We get a great view of uh, Bella's hand as one does. And he puts his hand on the thing. Um, and he's followed by his servants, which uh, the cab driver lets us know immediately are zombies. And he just like, he <laughs> kicks it into gear and and rips out of there. Uh, and Lugosi manages to hold on to um, uh, uh, Madeline's scarf uh, as, as they rocket away past this. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of an Ed Woody cemetery with all these gravestones just sort of stuck yeah. on the hill and stuff. But I find that charming. I think it's great. Oh yeah, it's it's perfect. It's you know, it's it's exactly fits what it what it is and what it should be. I, I love it. Right on. Yeah. Um uh and that this is our introduction to the film. This is what's going on. Uh, uh you know, Bella has some great moments. He gets to do some some hand acting and he tucks away her scarf in his in his in his thing and he's followed by his zombies, which we you know will later find out are actually uh all his enemies. Uh uh Legendre has has managed to um to more or less turn you know we'll get into zombies and killing and whether they're dead or alive or in a different state or what um uh but he's managed to subjugate i guess we should say all his his uh his enemies from the past and turn them into his servants through his we'll call it magic or we'll call it uh uh medicine or 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 what have you um uh, I mean, that's how he's kind of consolidated power here in, in, in Haiti. It's interesting. So, um, well, they're they're the, you know, the, the, the Parkers are free of that. And now they're going to get to the home of Beaumont. Um, who's, I mean, arguably it, is, is Legendre really the villain in this film or is, is Beaumont, no. right? Cause Beaumont's no. really the yeah, one was, kind of orchestrating. He is. And, and that's kind of, uh, I was, I was going to bring that up because it seems, at least it seemed to me, at the first before, or even when Beaumont goes to uh, Lugosi, that Lugosi is more or less just running his little mill or his plantation with his zombie workforce. Um, right. You don't get too many, too many hints that he's actively out trying to hurt innocent people outside of whoever he feels has wronged him yes, or was exactly. an enemy of his. Yeah. Um, a little bit in his world he's not, Igor. he's not looking yeah. he's not looking to import victims right he's he's got yeah. <laughs> but now we're in we're in beaumont's house um again like i said beaumont has beaumont was on the ship with madeline on her way you know when parker's bringing her uh here to haiti to, to be with them um and he's sort of generously offered to uh to host their wedding uh at his plantation house so um and I Parker's working for Beaumont, right? I mean, Beaumont's kind of his well, I think or benefactor so, or consultant or something, right? And I, I couldn't I couldn't uh get this right and, and or get this straight, I guess, in my head. It seemed to me that um Madeline had met Beaumont, you know, at a pier. On the boat or at the pier, yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah. And that he had he being Beaumont had offered uh, Parker, a you know, will offer them to get married at his place in Haiti, which was right. suspect at best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and then and then Parker's like, oh, then he's gonna, you know, uh, send me to New York as his agent or, oh, or something right. like that's that. Is. Yeah, yeah. So and you see, yeah, but I have to say that um, I'm not too familiar with 
John Heron. Um, so if no. any fans out there, I, I apologize in advance, but he, he reminds me of, of like a poor man's David Manners. He's, he's, he's not at all effective <laughs> uh, in this yeah. movie. Uh, uh, Scott and I have spent a lot of time on the subject of the impotent protagonist in, in these films, <laughs> obviously Olivia, and, and we've talked about it on the episodes you've been on too. And it's, I, I feel like this film takes that to a very extreme degree. There's this, uh, 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 you know, Neil Parker, Madeline's fiance slash husband, and then eventually, quote, widower. Uh, it's he's just at the mercy of the plot. He gets tossed and turned around and he you know, he gets manipulated by Beaumont. He gets uh, victimized by Legendre. Um, and then he turns into and, and the other character we should be talking about, obviously, uh, is uh, is Dr. Bruner, who they meet here at the thing. So yeah. Dr. Bruner, I guess, is going to officiate the wedding the the quote wedding that that's supposed to happen which is kind of a sham wedding um uh bruner's a older character so so what we've really got is and your thing about you know david manners is so right on lady it was like basically what we've got is dracula we've got yes uh, uh you know uh neil parker is, is our harker uh madeline's armina uh Dracula's kind of mixed between Legendre and, and Beaumont. And then Dr. Bruner is uh, played by Joseph Cawthorn is going to be our, our, uh, our uh, Edward Van Helsing slash, you know, you know, Dr. Or Dr. Van Helsing, Edward Van uh, Sloan. Um, uh, <laughs> Bruner's Bruner's interesting uh, as, as a character um, uh, again, played by John Joseph, Joseph Cawthorn, um, who seems largely improvisational, I guess is the best way to say it. Right? It does. He's, he's really the the way, I guess his delivery is really almost a bit relaxed. And and he's, he's, he really seems like he's just kind of going, going with the flow. Finding the words as he goes. He is. Yeah. I'm not sure. And I've, I've been on the other end of this in my own film. Sometimes I'm not going to name names, but it, it is sometimes where an actor is is sort of trying to get the dialogue out and maybe doesn't remember it word for word and doesn't have it totally or doesn't possibly have the ability when someone gets older sometimes to commit it the vernacular totally to, to memory. And they're sort of giving you their approximation of it. And that's kind of the the, the impression I get with, with what Joseph Cawthorn is doing, who's not the youngest man in the world when this film comes out in, in 32. So, no, yeah. Anyway. yeah no. But it makes him entertaining. He's he's a he's a kooky old fool. He really is that that more antic version of uh, Van Helsing, right? But because he, he's very knowledgeable, he's about about Haiti and about zombies and about everything. He's just a crackpot, kind of. <laughs> he is, yeah. He mentions he's been there as what a missionary for about thirty years, and, yeah. And he he doesn't. I, I think he's trying not to instill fear in this young couple has just arrived, but right. he doesn't, he also doesn't really dismiss it. What they say, you know, they say go on about corpses and, and zombies. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> a lot of weird things here in Haiti. Yeah. Maybe. You know, yeah. <laughs> a white man in Haiti here. Um, uh, he, he does initially see the thing is like as a character, he's, he doesn't come off heroic from the start. So you don't feel safe with him. You don't feel like, oh, well, he's here. Everything will be fine. And maybe that's a little bit of the thing Edward Van Sloan brought to Dracula and Frankenstein and Black, you know, and, and, and all the other films he was in. Um, yeah. That as soon as he's here, you feel like, oh, everything's probably going to be okay. This guy's in charge. This guy knows what he's doing. Uh, Dr. Bruner's a little bit daffy. So you're not totally sure. But, but inside that, or underneath, I should say, that daffiness is somebody who really 
there's a mind working there and he's like yeah it's kind of suspicious he would Brahman would bring you here and host your wedding you know it's not it's not <laughs> yeah. that's not like him you know <laughs> but oh it's, sure, i'm sure it's it'll like work he's out think, great. yeah he's thinking of everything that uh, parker should have should have possibly <laughs> thought of yes exactly, exactly. like like he's like, doing he's doing what do you that mean you met this person <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so not long after that um we have the introduction of charles beaumont and um is they i think they do a good job at, at setting up his character so by the time we actually see him we kind of get a sense or idea of know what he's about you know, we, we right. hear from, from Parker, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, he's he's met my fiance and invited us here. And then obviously with Dr. Bruner basically piecing one and two together. Yeah. Um, and, and then more or less explaining, you know, oh, this this seems this seems a little a little sketchy. Yeah. Um, Uncharacteristic for him. Yeah. Or something yeah. he says. Yeah. And and then the the butler also is is a huge huge red flag. Just um, just a lurker, right? Yeah, he, uh, he is. He he. <laughs> so you you get the sense that he's he's going to feed information to his to his master there, and mm-hmm. yeah. Then you see Charles Charles Beaumont, and he he's kind of this this young, almost I almost got the the sense of like a, a playboy type that obviously has a lot of money and is is very unscrupulous in his ways and and sees something he wants and will clearly stop at nothing to to get it and right. one of the first one of the first things he says is that he asks he was have you heard from the other person yet yeah. and you know i think it's later revealed yeah. the the other person being Bela Lugosi yeah. so it's obvious he's he's put some thought into this this ruse or this this uh, plan he has to to get Madeline. You know, he, he's obviously infatuated in love with Madeline, and his whole goal is to have her essentially leave her fiance and go be with him. And at some level, he must think this is not going to be successful. And so his backup plan yeah. <laughs> is to enlist the, the services of. Uh, of a zombie voodoo master in Bela Lugosi. Yeah. He's, you know, yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, the actor reminds me of, I mean, he's sort of somewhere between, I can't, I can't remember his name. The guy who plays uh, uh, Byron in Bride of Frankenstein. Um, Oh, he's got a little Harpo Marx in him too. It's yeah. (laughs) Um, But you know, yeah, it's like, you get the idea. I mean, Beaumont is a, a white colonialist in Haiti. Uh, He's a guy who's, I guess, used to getting the things he wants at this point. You know, he's wealthy. Yeah. And he's, you know, powerful. And and of that, of the class of the culture here where people tend to say yes to him, I think. Uh, and, and, and it's why I think he expects, you know, Madeline will just say yes to him. And it's also why I think he, 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 uh, as we'll see in the film, he, he underestimates Legendre, right? <laughs> like he very he, much so. He thinks, yes. He thinks this is, a man he can manipulate because he's a he's a Haitian or a French Haitian or, or or whatever you know Lugosi's character is kind of intended to be within the you know culture of the film, um, uh, and then uh, and then he he learns that he uh, misjudged, um, uh, but he's he's instantly like oh Madeline I'm so glad you're here I mean he he doesn't he's not good at playing it down right <laughs> yeah 
exactly <laughs> um, and uh and even even you know when silver comes in in he's like he's like tell him i'm i'm not i'm away tell him i can't see him he's like wait that would seem suspicious wouldn't it like, he's not he's <laughs> yeah. not he's not had to be very clever i think this guy i think he's probably born into money he's probably you know inherited his fortune and all that stuff and i think um you know uh, uh he hasn't had to be sly about anything so when he tries to be he's not very good at it but there's there's a moment and i don't know if it's in the uh i'm not sure if it's in if, if it's kind of new or original to the to the kino version um there's the scene kind of goes on a little longer and 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 beaumont talks to madeline and there's a moment where it does cut away to to neil and neil's kind of watching beaumont with her and he's he's getting a little bit uncomfortable uh there, there's definitely a moment you know where it's like this is odd, you know. Um, but anyway, but but Beaumont sends him all upstairs, and then a carriage arrives for him, uh, and it's driven by this zombie driver, which I love the I love the yes zombified coachman. It's great. It's it's it is zombie labor. It is essentially well, yes. It's what it, yeah, it is. Um, Beaumont's taken to uh, Legendre's sugar plantation mill. Um, it's a sugar mill. I'm not sure. I don't think Legendre owns the, the plantation. I think that might be Beaumont's plantation. Uh, Lugosi runs the sugar mill. So sugarcane is obviously a big export of, of Haiti and was was why the the, the colonies were 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 founded. Um, uh, the the this this awesome zombie coachman with the iron cross uh, uh, necklace uh, on his bare chest, which is such a cool. Um, it's like Lemmy from Motorhead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And I love the I love the visual how he kind of look over, looks over and it's yeah, just like yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like a lot of people are going to tune this episode going like, this isn't about heavy metal at all. This white zombie episode. What's where do they talk? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they didn't mention Thunder Kiss 65 one time. Uh, <laughs> um, we have this amazing mill scene with, first of all, just the sound of there's there's all these zombies that are coming in and tossing the sugar cane into the, the actual mill, which is the grinding part of the thing. And and the there's zombies down below pushing this wheel. It's like the wheel of pain, right? In, in, yes. in the barbarian, right? <laughs> um, and it, and there's this awful sound of the, the sugar cane stalks being ground up. And that's the friction of the wood on wood. And it's not oiled obviously or anything like that. It's really, um, it's amazing. It's such a, it's such a um, ugly sound, right? It is. And uh, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up too, so we get to see all these these zombies doing doing this work, and and then you you really get the uh, get to see all the wonderful makeup here, yeah. And it, it surprised me, but when I you know you see it in the opening credits of the movie that Jack Pierce is yes, you know, did the makeup on he's, he's on credited, film and, right? Is that amazing? He is. It is. I would have and thought he was under contract to not, Universal, but yeah, that, that that's that's what i was saying it's 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 strange and for a i think they said this film was shot in like 11 days or something mm -hmm. like that some ridiculously short right, right. Uh, shooting schedule but they went all over the place they went to universal i mean they've used obviously there's universal sets from dracula and the hunchback in notre dame and yes and uh i think even frankenstein but but they also went to the RKO, rko lot and and some you know some exterior stuff and then they're mm -hmm. they're using people from other studios like Jack Pierce and, and he's, you can tell his touch. You I mean, you can suddenly so zombies makeups are just 
fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And and to your point, you're right. It's like it's big makeup days too. There's like a bunch of them, which which mm. Jack Pierce, notably not the the speediest yeah. worker. Uh, <laughs> no, I can only assume had had a staff. Um, but I mean, it makes me wonder. Now I want to say, and and guys uh, out there, if you want to correct me or if you want to add to this when we post this on Facebook, we'd love to have this conversation. Like um, when Pierce finally is fired from uh, Universal, when he's let go in, it's 44, 5, I think. 45, 45 46. Right, right then, yeah. Yeah, 46. Um, now, now I want to say that it turns out maybe he was he he was always just a weekly salaried employee. He, he never did have actually like a, a deal with them. So maybe he was free to take other jobs if he wanted to. I don't know. It could be. The, the only other thing that pops in my head, I think it was in 1940. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say 47, but may, maybe not. I, uh, uh, Karloff was actually made up as Frankenstein's monster mm-hmm. in a in a part for a movie and it was made by jack pierce so they i think they licensed the likeness from universal oh okay but now that i think about it i I think jack pierce may have actually been gone by universal by that point but anyways the the um there's a famous shot of of kind of an older much older karloff (laughs) in the jack pierce uh makeup but i think it uh i think the it ended up on the cutting room floor for whatever reason that's not uh no no that that wasn't the the route 66 episode right no, that's um, later. That's like obviously yeah. in the in the sixties with a, a lizard's leg and Owlet's wing or whatever with where yes. Kane and, and Karloff and all are in it. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. His makeup on on Lugosi in the in in White Zombie here is it's definitely you know it, it, you're talking about a guy who understands Lugosi's face, right? I mean, I think that's kind of where the base of all makeup comes from is really understanding the the physical structure you're building on and what can be done while to make the actor still recognizable and still handsome. Lugosi is very good looking in this film. He's very Mephistophelian, yes. right? Um, uh, Scott and I joked on the murders in the Rue Morgue uh, episode about how 1932 is, is the, the year Unibrow. of big eyebrows for, <laughs> yeah. uh, for Lugosi, right? Right. Between, between uh, 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 Dr. Morocco, this and, and Island of Lost Souls, he there's, there's a heavy, heavy eyebrow work going on here in all these films with him the unibrow year one could say um but yeah he's definitely uh you know and he's got this cool beard where so 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 Beaumont comes in and oh we do have the scene where the 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 one zombie servant who's carrying the 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 sugar cane tips over and falls into the mill and and it's a really again like you know it's that's not a bit of dialogue that's not story that's just that's just making you understand who this man is is you know and what he's done to these people is this guy falls into the mill and everyone the other guys just keep pushing the wheel and he's just ground up with the rest of the sugar cane and and he doesn't scream or anything because he's obviously in this zombified state he just he just dies and it's just really like you're like oh okay this is who this guy made a made a devil's bargain with right it's it's safe to say they don't have a lot of workplace safety uh, yes, no, protocols right, in place. Right. There. Yeah. OSHA, OSHA would have a field day with this place. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, um, and and but I think it's funny that you know he 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 meets uh, uh, murder in his, in murder's office. Um, murder murder Legendre's name is never spoken aloud in in the film, which is which is interesting. Um, he meets him in this office and one of his first Lugosi's first lines is he jokes about how his, his zombies uh, uh, servants are not worried about long hours. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and a year later, Lugosi, you know, Lugosi would, would go on to be a founding member of SAG, right? Which yes. one of their main things was was talking about long hours, was issues involving long hours on set, which is funny. Um, I don't know if that's a bit of irony or if that's just a funny coincidence that he has that line. But uh, yeah, um, Lugosi's doing a bit of a French accent in this. He's he's still got his I mean, obviously, he's got his kind of Hungarian you know, uh, yeah, uh, uh, thing that the it's, it's always pre- omnipresent with him, um, but uh, he's doing a bit. But, but the other thing, Lugosi, and we saw saw this in Mercer Rumori, We see this. Other Lugosi could just rip off the French pronunciation of words, and and you know, Monsieur and and things like that, with without a sound and and really sound. You bought it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, he he. Uh, I want to say he maybe it was practice or not, but I, I found his his kind of French-ish accent here mm-hmm. uh, a little bit better and a little bit more convincing here than it was in Murders in the Rue Morgue. It's interesting. He, yeah, he yeah. seemed to be a little a little more natural, I think. His character in Murders is is not supposed to be from France, from Paris, at least. That's, that's true. Or else, because they true. say like, have you ever heard a man speak like that? I don't know. But but yeah, so uh, this guy, but, but obviously here he's supposed to be either... Uh, a, a, a Caucasian resident of of Haiti, but but also maybe maybe part Haitian himself. I'm not sure what the you know the intent of it is, but he's got you know this Mephistophelian beard and everything like that. But he doesn't. I guess the point I'm trying to get to is that towards the beginning of the film, he doesn't dress like a Westerner. He dresses uh, in a, in this kind of like different kind of a it's almost like a priest like robe kind of thing he wears, it, like a, almost like what a missionary or something would have. And also it's, it's out of yes. date. It's like what he's wearing is like almost from a century before, or, or at least like 40 years before it. So, so here's the question is, is he, is, is Legendre just a normal man or is he somehow something different as well? Like the movie never gets into it, but it does create this feeling of unease. So you're like, what, what is this thing we're dealing with here? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it, like I said, I, I kind of touched on this at the the beginning when you first see uh, Lugosi. It, there's and this is this follows him throughout the whole movie. There's just this 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 vibe, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. of just creepiness that that yeah. follows him and his character everywhere, and and the way just in his in his delivery. I mean, I can absolutely see why this is such a celebrated Lugosi film because he does. He does so much here that that is outside of just you know his dialogue. It's all the nonverbal stuff, the way, the way his inflection is, how his his body language. I mean, you just almost from the start, kind of like you know, as I said with Beaumont, you you pretty much have the sense of who his character is. You know, here you you get the sense that Lugosi is a man that is is cannot and should not be trusted, and mm. he's he's got his own agenda and it's going to be handled in a very gruesome manner if necessary <laughs> yes uh, absolutely he's he's ruthless he also though has this he has a very this dark sense of humor too like like legendre is like and i say i say this sometimes about other people like legendre enjoys being legendre like like yes. it, like the character himself is very happy with who he is and what he does in life he's not tormented he's not you know ever he, he's morally you know kind of at, at at ease with with his status in in life and, and everything um and uh 
and he's calculating uh, uh, too. Like this, this is his his you know plan is that he. Was, I talk about the long game. Like I think he's got a long game plan to to subjugate Beaumont and and thereby increase his own power, right? But he Beaumont comes to him needing a favor, and he and and Legendre is like, oh, okay, I see. Okay, here's the first step. We'll 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 do this first, and this, yeah. And he 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 he's plotting. Um, Lugosi's also having a blast doing this character too. Like you can tell, he's having. Oh fun. yeah, he is. He is. He is absolutely having fun in this, and he is. He is all in, and and he is just eating this up. He is. He yeah. is loving it, and that shows in in the performance. <laughs> you know. As much and 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 again, I, I obviously we're all giant fans of, of Bella. Um, Bella, you know what I what I note now, getting older and getting and doing kind of something in in this field for a living is is that as an actor, Bella Bella will go as far as he wanted to, and I think some of his best performances are when he worked with directors who who knew when to pull him back and when to let him go. You know, yes. Um, like when to play down, when to be a little less theatrical, when to minimalize and when to, when to really like open it up. Um, and I got to say like how Perrin, like he does it really well. It's a, it's a modulated performance. It's, it's very theatrical as, as Bella, you know, is, that that's what he does. That's what you hired him to do. Um, uh, but again, he he's charming and, but also dark and creepy. Like he's all the things it, it's using all the tools in Bella's toolkit to to the maximum when he plays uh, yes. Murder Legendre. Yeah, no, it's why it's great, and he gets to wear these cool, immense. Whoever tailored his outfits, like it, he looks just he's tall and straight backed and and uncanny. Like he's just not a not a normal kind of kind of guy. So it's it's really wild. So he, uh, <laughs> we're coming up on we're coming up on the scene that's definitely a pre code scene. This uh, <laughs> film, but um, to to move the story along, just uh. uh Beaumont gets the potion from him and he's and he tells him like only a pinpoint and a glass of wine or some flowers or something. Um, and he just tells him she'll be yours. She'll do everything you want. She'll whatever he he sort of tells him um, he 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 makes Beaumont thinks he's giving him what he what Beaumont wants. Right. Exactly. But yeah, he's, he, not, it, he's not being totally and upfront about what it's going to do. No. And, and you you kind of find that out as as the movie progresses. But it's 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 almost like there's layers to this plot because you have the initial kind of scheme by Beaumont of I'm going to you know do what I can to win Madeline, yeah. but then there's there's another level on top of that which is which is Lugosi saying you know okay well I'm now going to use his scheme against him right. in a way that he just won't know until it's too late. <laughs> that's right. That and that's his yeah he's playing the player you know. Um, exactly yeah that's great so uh so madeline is getting ready for her wedding night and she's in you know kind of her undergarments uh with with the maids as, as she's getting ready and there's a you know it's not it's not really a scene where she you catch a moment where she's undressing it's a scene where she just sort of spends the scene standing there <laughs> without her dress on you're like okay yeah. well um you know here here we go uh uh getting ready so um and it's it's funny because it doesn't really further the plot. It's just it's just a scene that's there. It's some cheesecake. Let's say it's nineteen thirty two cheesecake, basically. Yes, exactly. It's, um, it's and this is another scene where, like, yeah, yeah, Livio, you should probably get the Blu ray because, um, how do I say it? A, a lot less is blown out in that scene. 
<laughs> you, you you definitely uh, see more the difference between where her white garments are close, covering her and where her skin is showing. <laughs> it's uh, uh, she's she's less of a like a white silhouette. Um, so yeah, and then they're coming down the stairs, and Beaumont uh, Be- Beaumont's timing is just really unfortunate. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's that's almost cringeworthy. So yeah, he's they're they're coming down the stairs, and she's in her wedding dress. And so it's, it's, I mean, it's obvious what she's about to go do. And, and he's like confessing his love to her. And, and I mean, if, if there's any saving grace to his character outside of, you know, what he does in the, in the ending, you know, yeah. he, he tells Lugosi's character when it's, when Lugosi says, well, you know, he hints that we can just make her a zombie and you won't have to worry about that. He's like, I don't, necessarily want that i don't really right. want to do that to her um so it, this is his own he's just terrible at it but this is his own attempt to to try and prevent that from happening by <laughs> professing his love but he, he just de- yeah he definitely doesn't have game i mean <laughs> no <laughs> it's like yeah, a crash and burn <laughs> yeah it's, like, it's just a kamikaze attack right at the last minute i guess um yeah it's really funny and 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 it's um, uh, Mad- Madge Bellamy's character uh, as Madeline does she doesn't really get a lot to do in this in this film besides be like the pretty girl and the object of everyone's attentions in in the movie. Um, but I think she has this kind of nice and she she has got a cool creepy moment after this when she's starting to whatever. But uh, um, but she has a nice moment here where he yeah he says like well, you know marry me or make me the happiest time and she's just in the sweetest way it's just like. You've been so nice. Don't don't spoil it now. <laughs> <You know>? Yes, <laughs> like that's just just, just cool your jets and stuff. She it's funny. She 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 tries to let him down a little bit. It's just it's so it's so awkward though. Um, uh, so yeah, so she rebuffs his uh, advances. Um, they they the wedding happens, and then there's this uh kind of uh post uh oh oh but 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 when she does reverse rebuff his advances right he gives her the flower which uh riffraff yeah. i mean silver has <laughs> has has uh <laughs> put put a drop of the 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 potion that 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 legendre um who was not invited to the wedding has uh has has given beaumont so so the deed is done before the wedding even happens before before dr Bruner even pronounces them man and wife um and and Beaumont's kind of watching and he knows like it's too late. Waiting, now. Like, yeah. You can't turn back. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's he's waiting. Um, uh, then there's, there's a dinner after the, Oh, Oh. And then we have, this is the, uh, this is the scene right here where, where um, Legendre is, is standing outside the gate of the, of the mansion. Um, and he's, he blows out the candles and he pulls out the, the wax candle uh, that's lit in the lantern and there's this buzzard standing above him and he's in a cape and he, he takes out a knife and he starts carving it. Right. Yeah. Um, I have to say that, 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 that buzzard is like a bird was the very first time you see it. It looks like a miniature of Rodan from you know, oh, 30 right. years down the line. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gigantic. <laughs> it's a, it's a six foot buzzard. It's just standing on the thing. Um, he t- look at, yeah. Uh, Legendre takes out this knife um, it does not look like it's a knife really accustomed for use for carving and whittling, but that's okay. Um, uh, and the bird uh, calls out, which is, I believe, a stuffed bird that might be. They, they, then there's a close up of something that's actually moving, but um, 
Lisa Andrade looks up at it and he, uh, and he smiles and stuff. The film has um, all the music is is uh, classical compositions that they've appropriated for the use of the the film, kind of like Ray Kubrick does in two thousand one. Um, yeah. But it's uh, a yeah. modest Mazorowski, it's uh, Franz Liszt, it's it's Ricard Wagner. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I Bogdar, I should say. Um, I believe this is a Mazorowski cue um, that they repeat a few times. It, it's basically Legendre's. Uh, a light motif in the film uh yeah. and it's but it's a silent scene it doesn't say anything it goes on for a couple minutes and it's just it's bella lugosi carving a candle with a with a vulture hanging out and it's but it's it's maybe the most captivating moment in the film it's the thing that everyone remembers it's like what the hell this is yeah it, and and this is a, a perfect perfect snapshot you know well i mean it, there's for anyone that would ever have anything negative to say about Lugosi, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of his, his acting or anything, just in general, not not necessarily specific to this film, but I think all you'd have to do is is watch this scene because on the surface, as you said, there's this this over the top, you know, crow or, yeah. or giant bird that's making these these strange noises right. <laughs> from from above and then he's playing this zombie voodoo master that's doing nothing but carving a a candle hmm. and if if you just describe it the way i described it you you're going to you're going to imagine something in your head that is probably not at all what you see on the film yes but what you see in the film is just lugosi doing lugosi which is i'm going to make chicken salad out of chicken you know exactly. what exactly. so um he he can he was so able to take it's probably why he's so successful in the quote-unquote poverty row you know monogram stuff right especially right. In, in in the 40s because yeah, he took something like black that was dragons so, and stuff yeah 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 he took something that's so ridiculous but he 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 was able to make it something that's worth watching is something that actually suspends your your disbelief for a second so you you are if you're watching this this film you forget the comical bird and you forget the fact that you're watching a three-minute scene of no dialogue of him right. just carving a right. a candle you're mesmerized by his about performance. A dude you know, it's, yeah. it's almost exactly it's yeah. it's like he's he's doing his own voodoo powers on the audience by yeah. Yeah. mesmerizing us watching him it's what he did i mean i mean the one thing lugosi could do was steal any scene and and we see in other movies like you got to be careful because it, if it's a scene not about Lugosi and Lugosi is just kind of in it, he's going to steal it away from what you planned on it. Uh, you know, Absolutely. if you want the audience to focus on something else and he's in the scene, you're in trouble because they're not going to do it. They're going to focus on him. That's just what. Well, yeah, and I mean, look at look at Son of Frankenstein. I mean, yeah. You, yeah. he's opposite Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's monster. But you don't remember Boris Karloff in that movie. You remember right. Bela Lugosi as Igor he because he's it. the he is yeah. he stole it. Yeah, no. <laughs> he does he does a lot. Um, we cut to so so uh, so Madeline dies, uh, or or you know we we believe Madeline dies, yeah. and we have this amazing. It cuts right to this. It cuts to a shot of the bouquet. Well, Lugosi like walks into camera and wipes out. He go he walks right out right. of fo- the focal plane right into the lens. Yes. Um, and the next thing we have is this, we have like three different scenes where there's a shot from inside the crypt. There's there's the crypt itself, the underground thing. And then there's like the vault in the wall, right? Where, where they're going to put her coffin. And the camera's like inside the wall as the guys, you know, the pauper slide the coffin right into the lens again, you know, uh, uh, blocking it out as, 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 uh, 
Neil and Beaumont, you know, watch and Neil's all shattered. Then it goes to Neil in a bar and he's sitting <laughs> and he's sitting alone at his table and there's shadows of the people dancing on the walls, which doesn't, the light doesn't really make sense why everything is bigger than other things and stuff. It's, it's, it's a strange optical kind of gag they're going for, but it, but it works because it's, he, so Neil's devastated by this. Like Neil's just yeah. a wreck now. Like he's, he's, you know, uh, he's lost now that he's lost the love of his life on, on their wedding day. Right. Um, but, uh, but it's a it just goes to show like, like this film is amazingly artistically shot. Like it's almost too arty for its own good, maybe for the era it came out in. I don't know. Um, it's really cool. Yeah. You have to give credit there because, and it may not have not at all been intentional, but um, I don't think this movie or its its atmosphere or like you said, how arty it was, yeah. was at all appreciated or even recognized in 1932. Yeah. I, I mean, I it, it, it took a good, what, 60 years before. Yeah. Yeah. 46 <laughs> people years. Really like, started coming out. Well, I think, I think it was unavailable for a long time. I think it might've been one of those films that was lost for a bit or or a good version wasn't available until until you know a certain like maybe the 80s or 90s or something um, yeah and again like you know this the the version i've watched from so many years is not really up to par to the version which which uh kino has managed to put out and put together from i don't know which different uh stocks or something but they they do i mean they did it with nasratu they they do a good job with 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 um with getting these transfers and stuff because it it really becomes like a you, you appreciate a lot more of the subtle stuff that's happening. Absolutely. They, they also, so I, I would also highly recommend their, they just released this, I think last year, their version of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, the Charles Long Chain Seniors version. Oh, Long Chain Seniors yeah, version. No, oh, okay. uh, the, yeah, the silent one. It, oh, it, cool. it is beautiful. That, Absolutely beautiful. It, that it's is like watching a new movie. <laughs> yeah. The only version I've ever seen on, on DVD, I think, I don't think it even has music to it. It's just like a silent you know you know version of, of this thing and and yeah the quality is really talk about a movie you really want to be able to appreciate the the details of right his makeup and yeah the architecture of the building and stuff yeah um uh yeah but anyway uh uh so uh so yeah so he's you know he's neil's drinking now i guess <laughs> quite a bit by the, the evidence of the bottles in front of him and empty glasses um uh in a scene that I don't know why it reminds Very me of, of, of uh, in Raiders of Lost Ark when when uh, you know Indy thinks Marion's dead and he's in the bar in Cairo. Oh, it's just <laughs> yes. like you want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. Like he doesn't care anymore. You know, um, it's just it, 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 like the point of everything's gone for the poor guy, and he's yeah. And I, I get what what they're trying to um, what what he's trying to get across here, and it makes sense. But it's it's a it's a tish over the top. You know, the, he's like, he's either had that much to drink yes. or, or he, he just, I mean, he's like, so, so bigly for, for lack of better, right. you know, word, if that even is a word, but he's like standing <laughs> up and then falling on the table and yeah. his arms are just outstretched and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, performance-wise, I mean, and actually, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is John Heron's performance, if this is how Perrin's uh, uh, directorial style, whatever. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, Neil pretty much spends the rest of the movie in this kind of like state, yeah, where he's either, 
you know, in crisis mode, panic or, or, um, he, I mean, there's a moment where he just sort of uh, loses consciousness on the stairs and in Beaumont's house. And I don't think it's, you know, I, I, I guess, I guess there's an idea that it's, it's maybe the zombie hypnosis power, but I, I don't know. Um, it's a choice, I guess. We'll go yeah. It's okay. But again, it's yeah. this, it's this idea, this hero that just is sort of incapable of doing much good. He kind of, kind of, and, and then rallies at the end. And I, I can only assume that that was kind of just a, a thing people enjoyed seeing in the era. It, it I don't, because, because it, it's you know, so prevalent in all these films, right? It's it really is. And, and that's, that's, that's a great point. And, and, and it's almost like it's like that, that character. So of, of like the, the all around good guy, the fiance, he just, you know, loves his, his woman or his, his yeah. wife. And all he wants to do is be with her. It's like once that is known, then the character is more or less just kind of put off to the side. Yeah. You know, I mean, the thing of like uh, Harker and, you know, in Dracula, he doesn't do much, you know, yeah. it's just known that he's, he's her fiance and he just loves her and he wants to to do, you know, yeah. nice things for her. Maybe, um, maybe in our era thing of movies with, with like The Rock and, and <laughs> even when we get into like, I don't know, like uh, the Patriot Games with Harrison Ford, or I, I don't know, even back to the 80s, 90s and stuff. Um, we're just really used to having our protagonist have some extraordinary skills. Yeah. Not superhuman, but just like, to, for lack of a better, to be good at something, right? Yeah, and, yeah like, and, like they have to do more than say, I love you, my darling. Yes, no, no, yeah. I'll make you happy. <laughs> dare one say, have them be capable people yeah and and, <laughs> exactly and, and and you what you get with so many characters and yeah we make fun of dave banners because he, he but he did play a lot of the characters that that fell into this mold if these just ordinary guys who are dealing with things in these films they tend to be dealing with stuff like black cat or or dracula or this or white zombie um they're dealing with things that are extraordinary and they're not really up for it <laughs> they're, they're, no not they're, at all <laughs> so but but it does have the effect where it makes uh, whoever Bella Lugosi is inevitably playing or Carlife is inevitably playing. It makes them more seem more powerful, more extraordinary, more sinister, more more dangerous. You know, it, it has that effect. If 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 you put let's just go crazy. If you if you if you put Jason Statham into this movie as <laughs> as as the hero, right? Then then there's always this thing. It's like, well, why doesn't he just kick the crap out of yeah, Bella Lugosi's character. Bella Lugosi's, you know, murder Legendre. Aside from his other capabilities, is not physically probably that dangerous a person to. No, to, not at all. To, to have, you know, have a conflict with. So yeah, yeah. It, yeah. If if Jason Statham was uh, playing this role, that bar scene probably would have been a lot different. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been, been more entertaining. There, <laughs> there definitely would have been a big, a big brawl, right? Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so so plot wise, um, yes, Neil was Neil's not in good shape um uh legendre has has brought his his zombie servants to meet him and beaumont at at the crypt where where madeline's buried and they abscond away with her body and there's some great shots of them walking up the um yeah. the side of the hill there with the body and stuff it's very um it's very seventh seal you know yes <laughs> it's, uh um them, them on the crest of the hill the the 
there's a lot of these films where the day for night where they would shoot daytime right and and um try to sell it as nighttime because it's very hard to shoot at night where it's really dark and stuff. It was especially hard back in the day with the technology and the lights and stuff and the camera speeds and, and stocks. Um, this film does that, does it pretty well, actually it normally creates, it creates this kind of like, I don't know, let's call it Haitian twilight that, that, um, that sells. It's cool. Like it, 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 it works. And they, they do just enough dressing yeah. of, you know, this hill in California where they, they hang some Spanish moss on some things and put some, slightly creepier trees in into the into the scene uh and you buy it it's cool it, yeah it's, it's haiti whatever <laughs> and yeah the the you know thinking back I'm, I'm thinking as you're you're saying this you know in the movies that have followed since specifically they're dealing with zombies or or you yeah. know reanimated with frankenstein and, and quote-unquote monster movies aside dealing with reanimated corpses I have to say this is one i mean obviously this is i think it's more or less considered the first you know like full-on zombie movie uh-huh. but they i think they do a great job with just making it so eerie and so creepy yes. because just i mean like the shot you just said you know with with going into the crypt and then you see them you know walking and it's so slow and methodical it, it, it almost reminds me a bit of like the Karis movies, you know, where mm-hmm. you you have this 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 character, this monster that's so slow moving and so yes. <laughs> not not you know mobile at all, but at the same time so terrifying because you know that no matter what, he's there. They will come to get you. They will catch up to you. <laughs> the, the the I always call it. It's the Pepe Le Pew thing where you know the, the the female cat who accidentally gets a white painted on her back and Pepe mm-hmm. is convinced she's a skunk can run as far as she wants and, yes. and Pepe Pooh just does his little hopping thing and he he never catches up it's that it's that in it's that it's that feeling of it's that dream thing right where you're running and no matter how fast you're running you're not getting away from whoever is chasing you and and yeah exactly um, I, I think it's it's very rooted in something in in our in our psyches and stuff and, and so why it's, it's so effective um yeah uh, you know I mean I I would I would say I don't know lost souls this film white zombie um I walked with the zombie the 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 Jacques Chenier film that Val Luden you know wrote and produced and stuff um all these films I I have this thing where I love these these kind of Caribbean sets or 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 tropical set monster movies because if you think yes. about this it's it's hard to make that kind of environment spooky and and go- and gothic and and all these films manage to do it really well and and they do it different different ways um but you know you you take something so lush and green and and bright with sun and warm and and idyllic really right you know this part of the world um and you manage to turn it into something kind of kind of haunted uh and that doesn't just happen that that takes craft and 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 i think all these three films are good examples of from this era of of you know filmmakers being able to do that no, I totally agree with that. And, you know, especially you mentioned Island of Lost Souls and just the oh yeah, the atmosphere there. And and the same same here. I mean, you don't you don't get the sense of the bright, sunny, touristy, you know, no, no, <laughs> destination course, yeah, that yeah. a couple wants to go get married at. Yeah. It's just is a very this claustrophobic dark, jungle. Dark place. Yeah. 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 Right. No, it's great. Um, so uh, in a moment of sobriety. <laughs> Uh, Neil Neil goes to Doctor Bruner um, for some counsel, and we're left with 
you know, a scene that goes on for maybe about 30% longer than it, it needs to. And a lot of that, I, I do think, is is Joseph Cawthorn just sort of like trying to get the words. Out. Yeah. <laughs> he continually asking him for a match. He asks him for a match. Like, it's a running gag. <laughs> but, it, but it happens about three more times than it maybe needs to. Um, uh, but here we have this. It's like the Dr. Van Helsing scene. It's it's the scene where, where, where Dr. Bruner um, kind of gives the gives an overview of, of zombies and what's going on and, and, and tells um, uh, Neil that, that this is what he suspects is, has happened with, with, uh, with, with uh, Madeline, that she's been, she was drugged, poisoned, put into some kind of state and then brought back to life. So um, it's interesting because the film never really, uh, it, it doesn't commit, right? Like is, is what murder legendre does is it is it magical is it mystical is it supernatural or is it or is he just sort of like a a a bit of a mad scientist and he's figured out this kind of concoction which is truer to real life like what the the general consensus of what the zombification kind of myth comes out of is this idea of, of people that were able to introduce toxins into human beings and put them into this state where uh, they seemed almost like a, the walking dead. They, they, yeah. they seemed almost like, um, uh, and, and, and it would also make them uh, pliable, right? Like to suggestion and commands and stuff. I think there's a lot of stuff. It comes from a certain, there's a toxin that comes from like a puffer fish or a certain type of fish um, that, that uh, I don't want to really divest into, into, you know, <laughs> Boudin and, 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 and Haitian ritual and, 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 everything else um, i might be question my choice of seafood next but you know <laughs> no exactly right um yeah but 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 so but but it walks the line in and it's needed never i mean it does imply that there's there's something about uh legendary because obviously there's the the scene with the candle and the the wax figure which so it's like their appropriation of like the voodoo doll right um and uh and uh and, and the idea that that Madeline sees his his face and his eyes, and even even Neil sees his eyes in his drink. Um, so there's the idea that Legendre has some kind of maybe yeah supernormal uh, ability, mental abilities or something like that. But but he definitely you know employs I guess he employs all the tricks uh, to get to get what he wants. Um, uh, so we we get the first view of of uh, I guess well I guess it's Beaumont's house right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Beaumont's house. Yeah, yeah. Which which somehow now kind of doesn't look like it did before a little bit, but but not it's it's like something's happened to it. Um, it's like a instead of a plantation now, it's it's like this kind of gothic ruined castle keep thing on on a cliff right by the ocean. Um, and we haven't really seen that set up in 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 the original part of the movie when they when they show up at his place. It's just like the front of it's just like a plantation house. Yeah, you don't you don't really see it at all, and it, you know what it reminds me of the first kind of that first long shot, if you will, when you see a this this big house and then the cliff and the uh-huh. water and all that. It reminds me of House of Dracula. How how yeah, you know, Doctor Adamon's castle just right yeah. on just happens right, right on the cliff. You, the you water. feel like one yeah. tremor, and you know, <laughs> um, so I don't know. Is this a different place that Beaumont owns, or is this? supposed to be the same place in a different part of it i'm not sure what the plan was i will say that based on the budget of the film i'm pretty sure they had access to like a ruined castle somewhere set you know of some kind 
from some other film and, and I think patched some stuff up and appropriated some things or something like that. Cause I don't, I don't see them having built this set originally for, with the stairs and with everything for, for this film. It, that's no. a, that's a very extensive thing. There's also the, a great glass painting shot that opens up the scene that, that has, it shows yeah. like the, you know, the soaring roof of this thing. And that's like, it's, it's not done quite as the level of Dracula 31 of the, of those ones for, you know, inside, inside uh, Dracula's castle in, in Transylvania, but it's, it's pretty good. Um, and it's pretty well af- affected where it matches the thing you really buy this, this thing. So, so I don't know, Livio, I, <laughs> I'm not sure I have an answer. For this. I would love if someone does um, why we suddenly switched to this location here um, uh, when, when he brings, so, so he's got, Madeline playing piano for him and he's dressed all in this like dinner coat and he's got her all dressed up. But meanwhile, she's a zombie now and she's just this, yeah. you know, in, in, semi-animated thing. Yeah. It, it's like it, you see, you see the realization and that's kind of what I spoke on earlier. You know, if there's any redeeming qualities at all about yeah. his character, you know, it's, it's that he's, Obviously, he's not like you said. He's used to just getting whatever he wants to the point of where he doesn't think anything through. He's just like you, give me what I want, you know. And right. he's just assuming that everything's going to be fine, like a child. And yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And now he's he's realizing, you know, he, to your point, he's dressed in this dinner coat and he's <laughs> he's expecting his you know this companionship, and all he's getting is essentially like a robot, you know, mm-hmm. he, just this this lifeless shell of a person. And, and I think that's when it dawns on him that he's like, what have I done? I don't, I, I don't want this. And he yeah. even says that, you know, he goes, uh, I I'd rather see anger in her eyes than no life in her eyes at all. You know, he, right, and he, right. he goes to, to, uh, to murder and, and says pretty much that, you know, says, you know, I, I don't want this anymore. Let's, you know, turn her back, make her, make her back to normal. And, and, you know, Lugosi's like, I don't think she's going to appreciate that or like you very much if, you know, <laughs> yeah. if I do. And yeah, he's like, what, what and, do you think? She he, would, how would those eyes look on you then knowing this, that what you did to her? Yeah, that? exactly. And then that's when he says, you know, I, I'd rather see the anger or something, yeah. you know, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And then that's when you see uh, Lugosi's kind of his own plot kind of country for, to fruition. And yeah. I think it's, it's, it's such a great scene um, because you see so that they, he goes, okay. So he, Beaumont's saying, you know, I, I want, I want this to stop for her. I want her to go back to her normal self. Even if she ends up hating me, I, I want, I don't want this for her. Mm-hmm. And Lugosi's Lugosi, you know, it compares her to a flower and any, and he says, okay, well then let's drink to the future of this flower. It's okay. So he, he asked for, yeah. for wine or I believe Beaumont asked for wine and the way that Lugosi grabs mm-hmm. Beaumont's glass is so great. It, it, it's something that only Lugosi, I think could ever do the, the, with his hand movements, you know, he, he like grabs the top of it in, in this like weird, creepy kind of way. He palms it. He basically. hands it to. Yeah. Yes. And hands it to Beaumont. And then he grabs his own cup, just, Reg, completely regular, you know, yeah, very yeah. quickly, and and so Beaumont starts to and drinks a little bit, and then looks, and then it dawns on him, and then you see this realization come on his face, like, oh my God, I've just been 
Yeah. I've just been drugged. And then Lugosi repeats that same line that he told him. It could be just a, a, a pin drop or it could be just yeah. some, you know, a glass of wine. And he's got this just evil grin on his face the whole time because he knows there's nothing that he could do to stop it. That, that was horrible, um, right? No, exactly. It's the same look like he has at the wedding. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right. You're totally right. Um, yeah, it works so well. It's so deftly done um, because, every, you know, all of Legendre's mannerisms, you know, physical mannerisms are sort of florid. Uh, so the idea that he, he he picks it up in this unusual way, you don't think about it. You just are like, I don't know, maybe it's a, you know. Um, uh, but um, what what gives it away, I think, right at the beginning, if you, when you go back and you watch again, um, Lugosi's shown up here at at, Bo, at Beaumont's house, and for the first time, he's wearing a Western suit. He's wearing yes. a, a suit with a collar and a neck a regular necktie and a and a you know handkerchief in his pocket and stuff. So this is him. He's taken over, and to take over Beaumont's you know wealth plantation ownership whatever you know. Um, He's going to have to play the part now. So he had, now he has to dress like one of them. And and this is the Dracula thing kind of where, you know, Dracula suddenly yes. he starts when he gets to England, he starts, you know, he has like the 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 the, the vest coat and everything like that. And he starts really trying to like um, not I mean, in the Lugosi version, he's kind of wearing the same thing the whole time. But in other versions, we see that the Dracula is actually sort of trying to amalgamate into you know, the contemporary look of, of, of where he's moved to. Um, but this is, this is the same, this legendary is, you know, uh, he's co-opting everything and, and to do that. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's almost like Beaumont should have, should have picked up on that from the beginning, but he's too caught up in, like you said, like, like I do think, I think Beaumont loves Madeline. Like he honestly loves her. Like he covets her in a, in a, maybe a not healthy way, but his care for her is real. And, and yeah, evidence in evidence and in, in when when he realizes kind of that he's taken all the life out of this thing that he loves he's he's killed the thing he loves right and all that's left is this automaton you know kind of walking around um he realizes it, it, you know the severity of his mistake but yeah no it's a it's a great moment where beaumont realizes how effed he is <laughs> you know? yeah like oh and and, and so I, I was gonna ask about this because i i maybe i I missed this the first time around, but so when, when Beaumont realizes what's, what's happening, you know, the, the Butler riffraff comes in yeah. and uh, Beaumont says, screams silver. And um, I, I guess I didn't put two and two together for, for, um, for his name because yeah. he's uh, I think he has like a plug, the wine platter or something. And yeah, when silver he first platter said that, I was thinking like that, myself, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, well, how's Silver going to help him at this? <laughs> so is he, but, uh, is he calling for his servant named Silver? Or is he calling for the the the, the implement itself, like Silver, like, like eat lead? Yeah. Um, maybe I, yeah, I maybe don't that know. was the problem all along. He just needed some Silver. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, no, and there's there's a moment where I guess right. I guess this proves what I was sort of circling around right. before that. Um, uh, you know, a mid swing, Silver's about to to hurl the thing at 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 Legendre, and Legendre just with a glance stops him and freezes him almost in things. Like so, he yeah. does have this kind of hypnotic quality, right? That he he is able to use the power of his mind to you know uh, affect you know you know somebody else at least at least stop him from chucking something at his head. Um, and his zombie servants come in and and take Silver away. Hi ho. 
and and uh they're gonna bas- they just are gonna chuck him over the side of this thing so now now we realize why it's convenient that the the that Beaumont's yeah, mansion exactly. thing is right on the side of a cliff because it, it makes for easy because, because li- yeah literally like everybody that dies falls into, <laughs> into yeah the, the yeah water. no yeah that's the only way anyone and, dies uh, right is they just get they, he gets thrown into this like trough thing which like sweeps him off over the yeah over the the edge of the the thing and stuff so which uh, i really like how um and, and I'm, I'm assuming it's not the actual actor because he, he's older but maybe it was right was, but whoever it was, you know, very clearly holds their nose right as <laughs> right <laughs> just, before they uh, hit the last the water. Minute. I have not yeah. noticed that. I will have to have to rewind and and check that out. Now that's really awesome because you know why wouldn't you? Um, uh, it's really funny. So. Instinct, you know, <laughs> you're about yeah. to die. You don't want the added, uh, you know, uh, pain of water right. shooting up your nose. Right. Well, of apparently. course, not, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing's worth that. I'm not. I mean, it is poverty row studio so so no one's getting paid enough for for you know to get yeah like, exactly like pneumonia or whatever um uh uh the doc, dr bruner and and neil are on their way to uh to to the place they stop and they kind of like you know ask ask directions and and uh, they have a guide and the guide asks directions and you know we have all this idea of like uh you know protections against against uh uh, uh the zombification and everything um the it's another scene where like yeah again in the um i think in the other versions it's cut down a little bit so there's a little bit more here um then it's again one of these things where like i can't figure out if neil is is hung over or just hot or or not like acclimated to this climate or if he's just like kind of lame uh, all of the above <laughs> let's <laughs> just remember um i do i do think there's a there's a cool bit where they finally do get to the castle and and i gotta say i it, it's it's obviously a, it's a great shot um with a big glass painting of of the the keep that you know that that lugosi and 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 uh and beaumont everyone are holed up in um on top of the mountains and then but below there's this kind of rocky beach that leads away to the ocean and stuff so i believe like everything above a certain level is is a mat is a glass matte painting that's put in front of the camera at a certain distance and and that you know um uh blends in with what the camera's filming in real life and then it's it that you know the illusions there um i gotta say like i live here and and the film was shot in los angeles and i live south of los angeles uh near uh, uh palos verdes um as far as I know, there's not a lot of rocky beaches anywhere up in like from Malibu all the way down to, to Santa Monica to the Venice and down through Manhattan beach. And the only rocky beaches are basically like over the hill from my house. So I'm, I will, I gotta say, I'm relatively sure these beach scenes with these long basalt looking rock things going down in the water was probably filmed pretty close to my house. Um, the, the 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 practical element of this shot, I, I gotta say, of of, of Beaumont and or not Beaumont, of uh, Neil and Doctor Brunel, kind of stumbling down the shore towards uh, towards the castle. So that's pretty neat. Um, I gotta say, uh, they they set up camp for some reason and set a fire, and then of course in his sort of like state, Neil just kind of wanders off. I'm sorry, yeah. there's just no explanation for what's going on with Neil. Why is he weak? What's happened? I, I, it's very possible there was something filmed that that didn't make the cut that explains that a little bit. You it hope. does seem like he's somehow under power under someone's sway, but 
why is my question. Yeah. I, <laughs> he never drank any right. of the, you know, stuff. He does see Lugosi's no... face in his cup at one point. He does, yes, which is a great scene. But the thing that I like the most about that scene is when you see Lugosi's face in, in the liquid, he blinks. And, yes, and I saw that. Yeah, yeah, there's a it it makes it makes it I, I don't know to me anyways it makes it so much more realistic as if he's actually there looking at you looking you at know, him yeah from yeah. from the cup it it's not it's not doesn't doesn't it takes away the whole thought of this is just some superimposed image on of top course. of a yeah yeah it's close actually, shot it's actually, of a yeah. of a drink you know well I guess I guess if your head was floating in a whole cup full of vodka you'd probably blink too it it would <laughs> it would it would sting the eyes a bit I don't know. it would. <laughs> That's, that's the idea. Um, there's there's these two maid characters that that um, Beaumont has that you know kind of serving uh, uh, Madeline. Um, they're kind of they don't really have a lot to do in it, but they're kind of funny. One's kind of taller, one's kind of short, and stuff like that. They're 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 noticing her staring off into the balcony, you know, in her in her flowing white dress and stuff. And they're really they're the the maid the help is definitely picking up on the fact that there's there's something not right going on in this house it's taken them this long but they figured it out <laughs> it's like sums off um uh there's some odd split screen stuff happening uh between madeline and uh and neil there's this idea that there's like the psychic connection and this is what gets him up and moving finally uh for a couple minutes to, to go after madeline before he just passes out again <laughs> It's just he's so sorry. He's so bad. He's so he bad. He's he's so not helpful. He's he's like it's like it's like when there's an emergency and someone's hurt and then someone sees the blood and it just passes out. <laughs> and it, it just adds to the problem, right? It, it's and it it brings back to the point you said earlier about just maybe just in the time or in the era. You, I almost wonder if you see stuff like this and at the time did audiences just feel sympathy you know for the character yes. and, yeah. and, and in, in a way like want to root for them reminds me of david manners in the black cat where you know like a swift wind blows and he's suddenly knocked out in the cellar for for like most of the last half of the movie yes you know yes, it, yeah. and it's it, it's like you know in in 2022 we're looking at that like god you're useless you're you know absolutely, what does she yeah. see in you yeah why why even <laughs> did she say yes to marry her? she should have married beaumont for all that um yeah but but, exactly. but i i mean i think i think its primary thing is 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 structurally in the story it it works because it, it keeps it keeps the drama flowing because the the if if the the hero is sort of incapable of helping then that the longer whatever bad is happening is going to keep happening, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so it, it, it functions. Like but I, said, do, it, I do think maybe, and I don't yeah. want to suppose, but maybe women at the time liked the idea that a guy who lost his love was just, you know, Byronically heartbroken and incapable of doing anything much. Um, yeah. So devastated that, that they literally how could much not function. Her. He didn't just yeah. get over her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but, but, but I do think, uh, there's there's some subplot I think that has been lost in the translation or over time or, or, or edits or something that that I I guess yes. Lugosi is is the character is is running his his brain and, and controlling his mind and speaking of controlling minds so we cut back to uh, I do kind of love this scene with Beaumont is just this like drooling 
idiot at the table <laughs> sitting with and now Lugosi <laughs> has changed and Leger is wearing like a dinner coat he's wearing a very Dracula like uh, uh, tuxedo like he's, formal wear now yeah he's dressed to the nines here and, and Beaumont's back in his white suit and Beaumont's just like just like like I'm sorry it's uh it, it it's like he's had a stroke or something i guess i shouldn't make fun of it, it it's it's him but incapacitated for sure um, yeah th- this and, guy who's used it, to getting everything he wants is just like bah, you know yeah and he's you can tell the ghost he is really I, I think that's part of why he's so dressed up in in that formal wear you know he, uh, it's almost like he's he's assuming the role of like, that beaumont had yes previously yeah, had like, like he, it's and like he's gaining as, as the guy's yeah. losing and stuff yeah he's, he's exactly losing, you know, yeah no it's really good so, yeah. so, this is how and uh you know i talk about this in my films like it's this is how wardrobe tells story you know it's yeah, it's not just absolutely. it's not just there to make people look good it's it, it, it it's it's a narrative tool that we use um uh that that advances the plot and and tells you more about the characters and 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 this it's done to great effect here yeah it's great also i mean we just get a chance to, to have Lugosi back in a you know, white vest and necktie and everything. I can have tails, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't it doesn't hurt that it conjugates that that or, or conjures that image. I should say, um, uh, he's enjoying it. Like Legendre Le, Le is enjoying seeing this man brought low too. Like there's there's a little bit of a villainish thing happening that's that's uh, uh, pretty funny. And the scene goes on for a while though. They're, they're talking and stuff, and um, you know, Beaumont's definitely at the end of his. It's like it's like you know another little while longer he won't even be able to speak or anything. So yeah, it's, and he's you know it's almost like um, to your point he's he's enjoying this so much. It's just, this is a special occasion for him. This is something yes. he's going to dress his for. very best. He's going to make sure he's going to make an evening of it. You know this is this is his his moment, and he is going to do everything he can to make sure he is prepared and and you know proper and just ready to enjoy the fruits of his of his plot of his right, of his work exactly and he's even uh he's even um you know he's he's in the midst of carving a little likeness of Bo- of beaumont to you know to to finish yeah. the job i think is is basically what's going to happen um and he, and he's he's like he's like just no calm down no no this is just what's happening to you beaumont don't don't worry about it you know it, he's uh again again it's 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 Lugosi enjoying how much legendre is enjoying what's happening you know um relishing it without chewing the scenery he's just he's just having he's having a good time he's pats his little hand he's like it's okay don't worry you're gonna be a zombie soon yeah <laughs> he wipes his hands and stuff. <laughs> this this film definitely affords lugosi a lot of of great opportunities for for his hand acting which is one of the things we enjoy oh yeah about him. So the, just, just all this where he gets to carve with a it's not a machete but it's a gigantic freaking knife that he's using to do what what we would call very delicate you know kind of carving work he's, he's just got this blade it's like a stiletto it's really funny oh, yeah, you, you want to hear Lugosi in his accent say that's not a knife this is a, this is a knife, knife. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, so uh in the middle of this little deal that Legendre and uh, Beaumont are having uh, uh Neil finally shows up and yeah. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> and and there's I okay. There's definitely some kind of mental thing because uh, Legendre just sort of turns his head a bit and looks up, and Neil just loses consciousness. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, um, it's it's a thing. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, we have another great, like the glass painting shot uh, of the house and stuff. So, so, um, uh, and this is the first they've met, right? Neil is not met. Oh, well, kind of on the road. That was it, right? In the beginning of the film where they kind of run into each other. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. In the and, carriage and where he takes her, yeah, her thing. You're right. And, and he's also is equally helpless in that first scene because, I mean, he reaches out, Lugosi reaches out and, and grabs her scarf. Yeah. And, and, and Neil just like, just looks scared, you know, and, and has his arm around her, but he like says and does nothing. Seriously <laughs> confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, yeah, so Lugosi's going to do a kind of thing and there's a, there's a close up. Uh, it zooms in his eyes. That's um, it's like it's uncomfortably close. Like it's it's it almost like his two eyeballs fill the entire screen. And and I have never, I'm trying to think. I don't think I believe I don't believe I've ever gotten to see White Zombie on a big screen. I've seen a lot of the, the Universals and stuff. I've gotten a chance to see them at the Cinematheque and here in LA or or other places. Um, never here, uh, never this one. And um, I can only imagine what it must look like to have like those two eyes fill you know a 60 foot tall screen that'd be really cool uh maybe maybe someday um uh but the makeup holds up too like his you know his fake eyebrows and all that all that stuff it's interesting um yeah it gets i mean it's to your point it gets so close you can see like almost every line in his oh yeah yeah. you can see like the little blood blood in his his eyeballs and stuff yeah pores i mean yeah (laughs) um uh our our friend of the show cat hearns would be able to tell us for sure i'm pretty sure lugosi had blue eyes though um, yes, you did. I, I, uh, uh, so, and I, because I've never seen a close up one enough of, in, a, in a photograph, but, um, but so, uh, yeah, it's, but it's like they're always surrounded by so much dark makeup and stuff that I guess you always assume he was kind of, I don't want to say swarthy, but kind of like maybe like more Mediterranean complexioned. Uh, but, but, but being from Hungary and stuff, I, I apparently know, uh, rather. No, and, and you know, it's, it's a shame. I mean, I don't want to say a shame because uh, the uh, the lighting and just the atmosphere of the black and white in most of his right. movies is fantastic. But at the same time, to your point, I mean, his his eyes are just piercing by themselves. And if if you you could you know we watched Dracula and if it was shot in color or this movie that was shot in color and you see his yeah just piercing yeah. blue eyes that'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. Dracula with it blue eyes is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. It's it is. Um, uh, the uh madeline is is now like been psychically summoned uh to come downstairs uh and she walks right past right past neil who's passed out yeah. on, on the sofa by the way which i find funny um uh uh one of Hopper's favorite shots in the movie is this 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 uh staircase has these these kind of uh gothic stone uh elements to the railing on either side of it and he loves shooting putting the camera right or here that his cinematographer perhaps uh shooting right through one of these these stone to kind of it's kind of a cross uh like a like a greek cross shape thing uh or more like a fleur de lis i don't know uh but right through it and seeing someone coming walking down the stairs framed by this device which is really neat they do it they do it a few times and every time they do it it's effective it's great um, it is absolutely yeah so so now madeline is wearing this kind of you know her her wedding dress is kind of victorian but now she's dressed in this kind of almost medieval looking thing and she has this thing yeah. that kind of looks like maid marion almost kind of, kind of a deal. <laughs> yeah yeah so. the so. now so now we're like i'm not sure what's the the plan but you know you know you know you know uh uh, uh costuming wise but but yeah um 
this is what she'll spend. She she spends the whole movie in white. I don't think Madeline ever wears anything that's not white. And I guess that's maybe representational of a, of some kind of virginal. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the purity. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so Legendre's sort of uh, the thing he's going to get satisfaction of. He's 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 commanding Madeline psychically to pick up a knife, and she's going to go and and stab uh, Neo, her 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 lover. Um, in front of Beaumont as well. Um, and, 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 and Legendre just looks at me and raises an eyebrow and he's like, yeah, yeah, check this out. This will be fun. Like he's, yeah, I know. He's the he's, puppet master, he's, right. He's, he's enjoying playing with these people and making them do things that they would be, would find morally reprehensible as, as humans and stuff, you know, as, yeah, he's, in, he's enjoying the acts and he, he's enjoying as, as bad as it is. He's enjoying how, the acts of what she's about to do is going to affect Beaumont. You know, he, he, yes, he wants, he wants Beaumont to see this and to feel all the terrible guilt yeah. and bad feelings. And he, he's just, he's eating it all up. Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, uh, Matt Bellamy is lovely in this, uh, by the way, like, like again, oh, like yeah. in, this, in this kind she of restored is. version and stuff where you can see more of her features and stuff. She's just, she's, um, she's very, you know, she's doe eyed. And I think that was the thing she was kind of well known for. She had these very big, big eyes um it's kind of quaff of blonde hair and everything but uh you know and and maybe this is my personal predilections but i gotta say i think she gets better and better looking as she gets more and more zombified <laughs> with the darker makeup and stuff i i guess i mean i always went with for goth chicks so i think that was that's sort of just my own taste but uh but but the but the makeup's good yeah it, make, it gives her this otherworldly kind of ethereal thing and she always looks kind of neat is it signs you are a, a true horror fan i kind of yeah, right? like you better when you looked at like a zombie <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly yeah, right, yeah. um uh so uh so as, as she's about to stab him uh, an arm reaches out and stops her and the spell is kind of broken uh, the spell is apparently broken on on uh neil too who, who runs after her and they kind of just run right past Legendre, who's kind of going like who's trying to figure out what happened <laughs> like what went wrong yeah, he, he's He's not used to that. And and with the arm that stopped her, was that um was that the that's, that's, kind that's old the doctor? doctor. Yeah. I, I'm I'm, yeah, I'm sure okay. that's the doctor because he shows up with in the cloak kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh this this bit here was so so Madeline runs out and she runs to the edge of the battlements of the of the of the, of the building or I which I only can assume is an old fort of some kind, like a colonial era thing. I, I mean it's one of those things where I don't think uh, Beaumont or, or Legendre or anybody built this thing. I think this, you know, it, within the context of the film, like I think it's some sort of old leftover from, you know, who knows, like like Blackbeard era days or or what have you, um, yeah. that would have been built, like something you'd see on on Pirates of the Caribbean, kind of, you know. Uh, and she runs to the edge of it, and that edge of it, I guarantee you, is Palace Verdes because I I think I think it's very close to where I proposed to my wife. Actually, <laughs> the, the cliffs there look awfully familiar. Um, so I think they got like you know obviously the stuff on the on the steps and here is a soundstage, but the reverse where where we see kind of her standing over the edge and we see the waves below her. Uh, I think they probably shot on location. They do a great job of selling that this is exterior again again artistically for a film that was shot on a very tight schedule and very low volume. Um, the, the, the execution of the image of this film is, is sensational. I mean, it, it stands up to like films that were 
easily three times its budget and, and no, yeah, and resources and stuff. And it doesn't have and, you know they have parents don't have like a resource behind them like you know Universal if they need a like a tuxedo they just go to their wardrobe department that has tuxedos. They're not necessarily in this area at least they're not necessarily having to rent everything because so much of their stuff is in house. An indie film, which is this is basically an, an indie film, uh, a White Zombie. You know, they're having to go find. They're trying to go rent lights and rent costumes and 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 what have you. So in a way, it's it's more expensive for them in in a strange way. But but again, it execution is. wise, it's but, amazing. Yeah, and and that really, I mean, that speaks to the for me, anyways, like mm-hmm. the enduring quality of most of these films. I mean, especially the, the lower budget or even the the forties B quote unquote B universals, you know, they, I mean, there's movies that are, you know, made within the last 10 years that are spent years developing and producing and making and and millions upon millions upon millions of dollars that, that just miss when it, when it comes to stuff. And then you have this night, you know, 90 year old movie that's, that's shot in 11 days with a $50,000 budget. And it's just so effective. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of movies that are done that are perfectly fine movies and yet will be forgotten. Yeah, because they're just not. Yeah, they're, they're for one reason or another. They don't have that thing that's going to hold out. And and for some reason, White Zombie is one of those films that that is, you know, has stood the test of time and, and has stood up next to much bigger brothers than, you know, such as such as Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, you know, what have you. Um, yes, exactly. Uh, so Lego, so Legendre now has has um, uh, sicked all his zombie slaves on on Neil, and Neil's you know pulls out his his trusty revolver and he's he's shooting, which is the thing you see a lot in these movies where you know when they have scenes that because they shoot the things in a master, so it's not like you have you have inserts and and angles and and and, and coverage, um, and someone's having to shoot at somebody very close to them, they're basically aiming at their kneecaps, right? Yeah. <laughs> You see a lot of Westerns around this era too. And it's because that like, look, as I've worked with blank ammunition and blank ammunition, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fake, but we all know like it's also lethal in its own way too. And you cannot yeah. point a blank gun in someone's face and fire anymore. Or, I mean, you never could, it, it, you would, you could blind someone, you could hurt them severely. Um, uh, usually now in a film when you see someone like if you watch like john wick and he's shooting people close up it's all digital like they're not even using exactly blank ammunition anymore just because again like look i i almost burned an actor with a blank gun one time just because the the side ejection port of a 45 you know um he was tucked in his pants and and when they pulled the trigger at the last minute someone thought to put some cardboard in there because otherwise just that fire from the the gun you know from the blank you know firing in his belly would have burned him i'm I, the, we're not we're not going to go off on a gun thing guys so i'm just saying like even even the blank stuff is dangerous so yeah, so this is why is. you're going to see him shooting basically everyone's knee, kneecaps because they're not going to point it right to someone's face even if they're an extra uh, <laughs> which we call back <laughs> he's um, trying to they might be italian they're trying to take out the knees <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well they're they're disposable um the so so the spell is broken though when when the doctor runs up and uh, and clubs Legendre in, in, in the yeah. back. He kind of he kind of yeah. he kind of nightsticks him. Yeah, no, it's like a like a billy club or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not not exactly sure what what that was, yeah, but he, pipe? I have he no knows idea. where to hit him. Yeah, 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 I'm not sure, but he 
you know, to your point, he yeah. knows exactly where to hit him because the ghost, just kind of collapses like a house of cards mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that, that breaks everything. And I think that's when I'm assuming the, with his Lugosi being in, in, in the knocked out, that's what drives the zombies to just essentially suicide and probably right. not knowingly, but they just go straight off the cliff um, uh, into the, into the rocks and water below. And this yeah. like one by one, they're all in the line because they're they're They were going after um, Neil, I think. And, and so the spell's broken. Neil gets out of the way, and then the zombies just keep walking, almost like you, you know, you see birds or, or an animal that just one walks off a cliff, and so the rest of them just keep mm-hmm. following. Yeah, like lemmings. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that, that's the way I always interpreted it. Um, I don't know if the, another way you can interpret it is that you know these these people have been robbed of their their lives now that they maybe they have just the slightest bit of autonomy returned to them that that they decide that that anything is better than you know this current situation. Yeah. Um, maybe that, maybe that's a little prosaic, you know, reading it into the, into the thing, but, um, but who knows, but it, the long and short of it is, yeah, that all those zombies sort of follow each other off the side, um, and step off. So they must've, it looked, I mean, so, so the reverse again, where you see the cliffs below in the water, very like a hundred, 200 feet below, I, I can only assume they built some kind of platform and put a little bit of <clears throat> stonework on it to resemble the, the, the balustrade of the the, the the castle and then had everyone step off and i'm sure fell into a mattress or cardboard box yeah or or something but um yeah it's it's a creepy it for some reason there's a shot to that remind me a little bit of carnival of souls and i think it's just because i think it's just shot with just very flat natural light um and it's kind of startling and a little different film stock too but yeah um it's the only time where i think the outside stuff and the inside stuff kind of uh contrast a bit um uh, Madeline is also restored uh, somewhat of her the spell that she's been under, but uh, you know she turns and sees Neil, and Neil's kind of through a filter. She's still not quite there yet, um, and and the doctor's like, you know, you got to call to her, you know, tell her you love her, you know, all yeah, the, all the all the wonderful. It's very like you know Prince Charming, you know, kind of kind of kind of uh, romantic things, which which again, you know, it's. It's nice. This film has its share of gothic horror. It has its share of darkness, and it also has its 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 share of of niceness too. Like it, you know, it, all things in balance, right? Exactly. And and it's good date and, movie. I'm looking it up now. So yeah. So actually, so Light Zombie was released July. So summer. It was a pretty topical. We're uh-huh. we're, we're we're close to the 90th uh, anniversary there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. In 1932, the Mummy. The Mummy was. Uh, around christmas time 1932 right but um it, it's it, your recanting of that re, re, reminded me because i'd meant to to share this how similar it was to the end of the mummy you know where edward van sloan and the mummy says ah. you know he's dragged her back to ancient egypt you know right. call her you, you know her, 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 her love for you well, exactly and that's it's almost it i mean almost wow. word, word for word yeah and the mummy comes out after this huh well, that's yeah, very, it's very fascinating. We're not gonna. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying <laughs> that's very interesting. Uh, it is uh, very very cool. Um, the other thing I think this had effect on, and 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 Scott and I talked about this briefly. I think when we did um, Island of Lost Souls, is uh, you know obviously Olivia, you've seen the photos. Like uh, 
of Lugosi's original makeup as the Sayer of the Law in Lost Souls yeah. uh, was much more human-like, was much more, I'll, I'll keep saying like Mephistophelian, this kind of like, you know, goth, gothic looking, uh, you know, facial hair, but like the heavy brow and the eyes. Um, yeah. I have a theory that because this film came out first, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess I should say, if the if uh, Paramount, you know, in the midst of making and the makeup department there in the midst of making Lost Souls, saw at least an image of of Lugosi as, as Legendre and went, huh, does he look a little too similar to Legendre in our film? It for, for Should we go further or a different direction? And then you get the what ended up being his very furry covered face in as Sarah the Law. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It, and I, I guess I, I don't always take this into account when I'm, when I'm researching or learning about movies of this era, but the, I mean, even back, well, as far back as Nosferatu, you know, the copyright issues with uh, mm-hmm. Bram Stoker's widow and, and Dracula yeah. and the effect it had on that, you know, I, I think the studios were very, very aware, um, especially 10 years after Nosferatu mm-hmm. of what could and, and could not be, an issue, yeah. you know, like, um, well, Something 1943, you know, or, yeah. yeah. So like the 1943 Phantom of the Opera, you know, um, they, with the war going on, they exactly. universal had exactly. troubles getting music rights to some of the well-known operas from Europe. So instead of just saying, and eh, no one will really care, they compose their own, you know, they, <laughs> so obviously there's somebody there yeah. that's, that's in tune to that yeah. legal kind of stuff. Which was smart because, you know, they could have done it at the time and come out because it's not like someone in Germany was going to sue Universal in yeah, 1943. They, but once, exactly. you know, after a point, the war ends and, and then, yeah, now you have problems. And this is why, not to whatever, this is why we have trouble. Like, that's why it's hard to find WKRP in Cincinnati because when they made the show, they, they had Jethro Tull and, Joplin yeah. <laughs> and all this music on, on the show, but didn't get the rights for home video. So right. now suddenly there was this whole issue. And then you've got this thing where they dubbed in different music for the show. Anyway, not to not tangentialize, but, but yeah, no, it's, it's a thing you do have to be careful, but you also just don't want to come off of being derivative. And I could see, you know, I can imagine the, the, the young guy coming in to the makeup department at Paramount while they're prepping Isle of Lost Souls. And he slams the picture of Lugosi as Legendre down and goes, <laughs> We got a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they end up using yeah. that makeup that they had for, for Sarah the Law, that Bella's original makeup on another actor. Yes, they did. The film. They just, not to let it not go to waste, they're like, I would just put it yeah. on this other guy in, in the scene where they, they all attack Charles Lawton. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, True. Uh, Legendre kind of, <laughs> he, I like how Legosi does this thing where he, he, he comes back to life and he shakes his head and he stands up and he's, He's kind of humiliated. He's like, I just got blackjacked. Like that's really him. In the, in the by a seventy-year-old doctor. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. In the midst of my like diabolical scheme, some dude just knocked me on the back of the head. Um, he's ruffled. He's like really mad. Um, uh, and you know, so Madeline is just barely coming back to life now. Um, Legendre is awake, and he's like, oh well, you know, I'll just I'll just go off on my own and do my own. Uh, uh, you know, sort of like recommenced my evil schemes where I left off. Um, he does the ninja bomb thing, right? This whole bit where he throws uh, uh, Neil and, and the doctor are coming after him up the stairs and he throws down this pellet that has this, I guess it's some kind of noxious smoke or something, right? Um, yeah. 
Which is oh, great. Oh. I just love he, I love he's wearing it's a like tuxedo a... and he's got these he's got smoke bombs <laughs> in his vest. Yeah, I know. Right here like a Batman thing. Um, you know, it's like you, you know, slam down a smoke bomb. You expect him yeah. to you pull out like a battering or something. And, right, and right, right, right. <laughs> uh, it goes to show the, the, the power <laughs> of the 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 magician image that th- there's a lot of you know magic was very popular around this time, like 1880s to 1940s, 50s. Um, uh, and magicians, you know, there was this uh, a very indelible image of the magician. You see it in in uh, Lon Chaney's West of Zanzibar, where he starts out the, the film as as a uh, as the, yes. as a magician character, and it's the idea of this tuxedo and the and the dinner coat and the white tie and everything, but it's this idea of like being able to pull things out of your sleeve, right? Is my point is you know ha- you know having all these things these these different gimmicks ready and stuff, um, and I think that to a 1930s audience that this this whole smoke bomb in your tuxedo thing wouldn't seem the slightest bit odd, I think, as it does to us. I think that's a it's more of a generational kind of thing, but I I still love it. Smoke bombs in your tuxedo. I mean, you you never know when you're going to need them, so it's something that you should probably just carry with you at all times. I'm starting to realize that I don't carry smoke bombs <laughs> enough. Yeah, I really. Uh, um, they used to have these. Uh, you need a you need a, a permit for them now, but they used to have these zinc paintballs um, that had zinc and some other kind of chemical in them that they would use on films, and they still use them on films. But you you need a permit to use them on a film now. Um, and so it's like when a guy's running along the wall and they're they're shooting and their bullets are ricocheting off the walls. In the old days, you would put little squibs in there and lose little explosive charges that you have to set. Um, nowadays, there's just a guy with a paintball tracking the actor and squeezing off shots and like hitting the wall. And when the zinc hits the wall, it it it, it explodes in a little tiny sparks and and whatnot and and creates that same effect. I'm just thinking I, I could have some of those in my pocket and just throw those around. <laughs> you could. I Got mean, people with sparks. Seems like, like I said, you never know where you're going to need them. So. Yeah. Seems like the kind of thing you get arrested for nowadays. Um, <laughs> so um, <laughs> there's a so so in in a it, I love this ending where he's you know Lugosi's there Legendre I should say uh, his hair's ruffled a little bit he's doing the thing where he curls his fingers together and he makes the this this gripped symbol with his two hands um, he's he's basically putting the whammy on. Uh, the doctor yeah. and uh, and Neil and they're they're shying away and they can't cover his face. So he's using his mental yeah powers. Um, you see the shadow coming up behind him and and the movie's done a great job of making us forget about uh, Beaumont. Yeah, he completely forgot that yeah. this whole time that he was there. <laughs> and uh, and it's nice. This is nice redeeming moment where Beaumont, with the last bit of his humanity that's still there, uh, comes up and basically just you know kind of grabs Lugosi, struggles with him. And tosses him over the edge, and you see. <laughs> I'm just watching it. You see the the body, which is obviously a dummy, tumble off the cliff first of all, and then you actually see it hit the rocks. Like it, yeah. it doesn't hit and the gets water. Like washed away. It yeah, yeah. It doesn't rocks. hit the water. It actually just like splats face down on some rocks, and then the water comes in and and, and takes them away. I'm just saying. Uh, you know, we we no, we've, I, I, we've talked about unsatisfying villain deaths in the in, on the show, and this is not one of those. No, th- this one is great. I mean, just, just Andre really gets it. Yeah, for that reason, because typically you would ex- well, what you see from Beaumont is usually what you would see, which is just this long shot. Yes, of him 
just going off a cliff and then you just assume, you know, that, oh, well, he hit the rocks or hit the water and he's, he's gone. This leaves nothing to the imagination. You see the body hit the rocks in the water and then the water just carries the body away. So it's like, well, he's gone. There's, there's definitely not going to be a white zombie too. This is just, yeah. Um, uh, and, and then, yeah. And Beaumont follows them down. And what I love is then, then the vulture follows them down too. Um, you know, the, 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 the vulture is always there at these moments of death, kind of in this film, it's this, this harbinger symbol. Um, yeah. And then, then the, the vulture, you know, soars downwards too. just to, uh, I mean, I guess we could assume, you know, have a meal of Legendre's eyeballs or what, whatever's left yeah. of them. Right. I mean, you know, he's going to, his, his one-time kind of companion, you know, he, he turns on Beaumont and the vulture kind of turns on Legendre, I guess. Yeah. It's very poetic and stuff. Um, and of course, with Legendre gone, uh, Madeline is is fully restored back to her her normality, which which makes you think like Beaumont and the other zombies maybe would have been too, right? Like the the same thing that was done to her was done to all of them, so they all could have yeah. had a chance. But maybe the longer you've existed in this state, the worse it gets. I don't know. It could have been because she was still fairly new, and obviously yeah. Beaumont was you know was d- days old. Even. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but you know, Beaumont doesn't really have any more story to, to be told, so it's it's good. Um, and of course, we the the have you got a match uh, bit comes back one more time because <laughs> <laughs> it has to be and stuff like that. Um, uh, and that's that is White Zombie, the uh, the film, it not the band. It's yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you talk about uh, uh, I mean, obviously, the Universals are are so ingrained in, in pop culture and not only that, but that the influence in anything from TV to movies to music. Um, But you talk about probably the first, uh, I I could be wrong, but probably the first, I don't want to say non-universal, but the first, at least uh, um, as you said, indie film, you know, very cheaply produced that, that left has left such a huge impact just yeah. on the genre of horror, of classic horror. I mean, yeah. it's influenced yeah. so much. I mean, it's Rob Zombie has remade the movie. There's a band named after, you know, White <laughs> Zombie. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's such a such a lasting impact from this from this 60 yeah. minute, you know, 90 year old film. <laughs> you see it and you see yeah, you see it all over the place. And and also it's it's if not the first film that that dealt with zombies, it's it's a prototype film, definitely that uh in the zombie genre, which is now obviously an immensely huge thing. Um, huge. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> they, they use the phrase living dead uh, in the, in the film. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's the first time that phrase was used in, in, in film, um, Probably. which obviously, you know, night of the living dead uh, uh, you, you see that phrase come back quite a few times in, in, in years afterwards and stuff. Um, yeah, no, just a real, and the depiction of the zombies too. Now, now the how parents go come back and do revolt of the zombies, which I haven't ever seen. And it's one of those blank spots that I, you know, I obviously feel like for years I've needed to fill. Um, I've just never been able to find a good version of it that I've really wanted to watch. Have you seen it? I have not seen revolt? that. No. Yeah. It's I a couple of years later. Yeah. Um, I definitely would like to, to check it out. I know it's not regarded as, uh, of the same quality as, as this film or, or even many films, but, um, but what, no, what you're saying is right. Livio, like, like um, from this era, obviously universal dominates this thirties, forties, fifties era of, of uh, horror. 
And then you have the occasional, you have the Val Luden films for RKO, of course. Yeah. Um, you have the occasional other ones, you know, Island of Lost Souls, um, uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum, uh, and, you know, th- those ones that, that pop up from, from other studios. Um, but this one definitely, I mean, it's, if, it's, if you want to call it a one-off, this one just is right there with this core moment of 32, 31, 32, the advent of what I guess you, yeah, we call it the golden age of classic horror yeah. um, and fits it dovetails right in there. Just perfect. Like you, if, if you showed this movie to someone and said universal had made this movie, I doubt many people would, would go like, wait, hang on. It doesn't feel like it did. It really punches above its weight. As I like to say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, they also were fortunate enough to use some of the sets in universal yeah. and use universal's yeah. makeup man, you know, right, so, right, right. So, so in a way they kind of, yeah, they call it universal. I feel like Star, someone owed you know? Hal Perrin a bunch of favors or something. I don't know I like, what, how, how he pulled this off, but it's, it's impressive. But it, I tell you after, after watching it, it, and this is, like I said, it was one of the few that, you know, that where I, this, this stage of my life that I yeah. really hadn't seen, it makes me wish that I would have, watched it when I was a kid, when I saw the other one for the first time, right. because it has everything that I would have just loved. I still do. Um, but as far as like the, the death scenes, the Butler getting thrown into the water, the, mm-hmm. the zombies, you know, Lugosi's eyes, all it's just, Oh, it's, it's so great. It's, all it's so great. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, cool, man. This is, this is great. This has been a great uh, way to inaugurate your, your, uh, your term on Borgo pass. I'm really happy. Yeah, thank you. I, I am too. It was a great, great, uh, great movie to talk about. Yeah, fantastic. All right, guys, this is uh, this is Jim Towns for the Borgo Password Podcast with Livio Marino. Uh, thank you for listening. We will. Uh, we've got some really good uh, episodes coming up soon. We do have Son of Frankenstein coming up uh, pretty soon. We have King Kong, uh, and you know, over the summer we're going to be recording. We still got some big uh, ten pole numbers to to talk about, and also some some goofier ones we've got jungle woman and we've got uh the return of dr x and stuff you know we've got some fun shit so uh we're, we're looking forward to, to getting into all these and stuff we're gonna have some cool guest hosts also on the on the on the show in the next few months and uh, we're excited to to be unleashing this sort of second half of the of the series for you guys. yeah i think that should be our new tagline we've got some fun shit we've got some fun shit for you guys yeah exactly <laughs> We have, to, we have to change our rating on on uh, yeah. iTunes for yeah. <laughs> right now. I think we're rated for just children, so uh, please ignore that that profanity that just slipped out. In <laughs> We've got some cool stuff for you. Guys. Uh, we've got some fun stuff. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thanks, thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.